Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you guys are having a great day. Let me just ask if after watching or listening to this episode, you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, smash that like button. And if you're not yet subscribed, please consider subscribing. Now, let's dig in. We know from prosecutors that alleged serial killer Rex Heuerman, who is charged with the deaths of three of the Gilgo Beach Four victims, searched the internet for any number of depraved and sadistic images and topics. According to the Suffolk County Police in Long Island, a fictitious email account allegedly linked to Rex Heuerman showed thousands of internet searches related to escorts and sadistic child pee. By the way, Heuerman, as of today, is no longer on the unaliving watch at the Suffolk County Jail. The mental health staff there made the decision to remove him from that watch at this time, but say they will continue to evaluate him periodically. Heuerman's sick online searches echo the horrific acts of the infamous American serial killer, Ed Kemper, who's also known as the co-ed killer. Kemper incorporated sadistic acts into his crimes, which occurred from 1964 to 1973. Kemper mostly went for female college students who were hitchhiking. His ten known murders also involved the essaying of his victims, sometimes after they were deceased. Ted Bundy was also known to do this. In fact, one time, Bundy even redressed one of his victims before engaging in that sick act. According to forensic psychologist Joni Johnston, who recently spoke to the U.S. Sun, the crimes that took the lives of the Gilgo Beach Four and those of Ed Kemper are more complex than someone who just wanted to essay females. Johnston said, quote, It's more about domination and power and control, and I definitely think it is about a lot of things in addition to sex sadism being one, end quote. We the public don't know if the Gilgo Beach perpetrator essayed his victims before he did them in or after he did them in. The one clue that we do have that he likely did that is in the calls he made to victim Melissa Bartholomew's family using her cell phone. The man who called admitted to doing in Melissa as well as essaying her. So it would seem likely that Heuerman, if he is guilty of these crimes, did in fact essay his victims. They were also all escorts, so that sort of seems like a no-brainer, but we haven't heard it specifically from the police. Johnston described what may go through the mind of a serialist, so she said this imagining herself to be a serialist. Here we go. I want somebody who's attractive. I want somebody who I'm turned on by. I want somebody who's available for sex. And then what really turns me on is what I'm going to do to that person, which may or may not involve traditional sex. So sexual meaning, it turns him on. Whether it's torture, whether it's binding, 
whether it's, I mean, there's just horrible things. I would suspect whoever committed these Gilgo Beach murders, that's really what turned him on, end quote. I think it's fairly safe to say that Hewerman, if he is the guy, clearly was into tying these women up. All of the Gilgo Beach four victims were bound. Maureen Brainerd Barnes was found with three belts around her. The others were bound with tape. Johnston pointed out that both Ed Kemper and the Gilgo Beach Four perpetrator targeted vulnerable populations. The Gilgo Beach Four were all working as escorts. Kemper went for female hitchhikers, which back in the 60s and 70s were pretty much all over the roads. Hitchhiking was almost a way of life for a lot of young people back then. Johnston said that we've seen an increase in serialists targeting escorts over the past 30 years because other avenues for getting access to vulnerable victims have closed up. Case in point, hitchhiking. I thought I'd talk a little more about Kemper today because of the similarities between his crimes and those allegedly committed by Rex Hewerman. Maybe Kemper's life and behavior can shed light on what may have led Rex Hewerman to become an alleged SSS, that's my own new acronym, a sexual sadist serialist. By the way, we know from his many online searches that Hewerman was fascinated by other serial killers. It seems likely he would be familiar with Ed Kemper. As I stated earlier, Kemper, who lived in California, did intend people during his life of crime, among his victims were six female hitchhikers, his mother and her best friend, and his grandparents. How horrid. The methods he used included firearms, his hands around their necks, and a hammer. You may recall that Rex Hewerman told the Frenchman who interviewed him that he's a woodworker, and when the Frenchman asked him what tool he'd be if he could be one, Hewerman said he'd be a carpenter's hammer. When I heard Hewerman say that, I immediately feared that he may have used that hammer on some of his victims. Ed Kemper was born in Burbank, California. Now, he was very intelligent, with an IQ of 136, which is two standard deviations above average. Even as a child, he began to display sociopathic behavior. Like many other serialists, Kemper began his sick career by harming animals. He's also said to have acted out intimate acts on his sister's dolls. One of the factors that undoubtedly helped mold Kemper into a serial killer was his mother, whose name was Clarnell. She allegedly berated and humiliated him, and they had a very tumultuous and toxic relationship. She also allegedly made him sleep in their locked basement out of fear that he might try to essay his sisters. According to what I read, Kemper's mother may have suffered from borderline personality disorder, which resulted in her DVing her son. On August 27th of 1964, when Ed Kemper was 15 and staying at his grandparents' 17-acre ranch in North Fork, California, he was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandmother, and they had an argument. Enraged, 
Ed Kemper stormed off, retrieved a weapon that his grandfather had given him for hunting, and used the weapon on his grandmother, who was still at the kitchen table, putting the finishing touches on her latest children's book. Apparently, she was an author of children's books. When his grandfather later came home from grocery shopping, Kemper went outside and did the same thing to him. Unsure of what to do next, Kemper called his mother and told her what he'd done. She urged him to call the police, which he did. When he was questioned, Ed said, quote, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma. He told the police that he did his grandfather in because he knew he'd be angry for what he'd done to his grandmother. Kemper was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he was sent to the Atascadero State Hospital, a maximum security facility in San Luis Obispo County, which houses mentally ill convicts. There, he was given another IQ test on which he scored an IQ of 145, even higher than his earlier test. Kemper endeared himself to the psychiatrist by being a model prisoner. This reminded me of how the sheriff said that Rex Hewerman told him that he would be following all the rules of the jail and basically not giving the authorities any trouble. Was that Hewerman taking a cue from Kemper, bond with your captors, and lull them into thinking, you're a stable, nice guy who's been mistakenly charged with these crimes. While Kemper was at Atascadero, he was even trained to administer psychiatric tests to the other inmates. One psychiatrist later said of Kemper, he was a very good worker, and this is not typical of a sociopath. He really took pride in his work, end quote. Kemper even became a member of the JCs while there. The JCs are members of a leadership training service and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40. Kemper was so intelligent and crafty that he used knowledge gleaned from the psychiatric tests he gave to other inmates to manipulate some of his own psychiatrists. He learned a lot from the SOs to whom he'd administered these tests. Against the recommendations of some of the psychiatrists at Atascadero, on December 18th of 1969, which happened to be his 21st birthday, Ed Kemper was released into the care of his mother. Three years later, in 1972, Kemper managed to get his juvenile records permanently sealed. While staying with his mother, Kemper attended community college and he hoped to become a police officer. However, he ended up being rejected because of his size. He stands six feet nine inches tall, and back then he weighed 300 pounds. Does that remind you of anyone? Rex Hureman at six feet four inches tall would almost look short next to Kemper. Despite being rejected for the police training program, Kemper maintained relationships with some of the officers in Santa Cruz. Kemper then went to work at a series of odd jobs before landing a position with the state of California's Department of Public Works. During this period of his life, 
Kemper continued to have a very hostile and toxic relationship with his mother. He later described their arguments as follows. My mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go to fists with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned, end quote. Kemper, your mother was right. You should have had your teeth cleaned. Gross. When he saved enough money, Kemper moved out of his mother's house and in with a friend. Despite living in separate residences, Kemper and his mom continued to communicate. She regularly phoned him and would pay him surprise visits from time to time. And when Kemper ran into financial difficulties, he would return to his mother's apartment. Tragically, despite his time in the state hospital and all of the time he spent with psychiatrists, Kemper had not been cured of his desire to harm people. He simply learned how to hide his dark fantasies. While out driving, he began to notice how many young women were hitchhiking around the area. Then he decided that maybe he should store plastic bags, sharp objects, blankets, and handcuffs in his car. He began his crime spree picking up young women and then peacefully letting them go. But after a while, sick urges flooded his body and he finally acted on them. Between May of 1972 and February of 1973, Kemper picked up six female students who were hitchhiking, took them to rural areas, and did them in. He would use sharp objects to harm them, sometimes a firearm, and sometimes the act of smothering. After all that, he'd take the lifeless bodies back to his apartment, where he would continue to abuse them. Finally, he would cut them apart. One time, just like Jeffrey Dahmer, Kemper had bodies in his car when a police officer pulled him over for a broken taillight. Thankfully for him, but not for anybody else, the officer did not detect the bodies, and so Kemper was allowed to drive away. When he was done with the bodies, he dumped them in ravines or buried them in fields. One time, however, he buried one of his victims' heads in her mother's garden as a sick joke. In all, he did in one female high school student five college female students, including two from the University of California at Santa Cruz, where his mother worked, and one from Cabrillo College. Kemper has stated in interviews that he often searched for victims after having arguments with his mother, and she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where she worked as an administrative assistant. He recalled that his mother would say to him, you're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them, end quote. Thank God she kept him away from those college students. In April of 1973, Kemper turned his sick talents toward home. He went to his mother's apartment and did the unthinkable. While she was sleeping, he used a pick hammer to do her in. I don't even want to tell you what else he did to his mother's body. It's simply too horrible for me to even say. 
not yet satiated, he then invited his mother's best friend over, and he did her in as well, but this time he used his hands around her neck. He then got into his car and listened to the radio for news of the crimes. When he didn't hear anything, he pulled over and called the police himself, and he confessed to being the co-ed killer. Despite confessing, Kemper had a trial. There, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. However, he ended up being found guilty of eight counts of murder. He then asked for the death penalty, but instead he received life imprisonment. Psychiatrists and Kemper himself believe that the young women he did in were surrogates for his ultimate target, which was his mother. We've heard that Rex Heuerman's mom was very controlling. Could it be that Heuerman, like Kemper, if he is indeed guilty, viewed the young female escorts as substitutes for his mother? Is that something he shares with the very tall and large Kemper? If so, Heuerman's mother was luckier than Kemper's. She's still alive at the age of 93. Back to Kemper. I'm sorry to say that Ed Kemper is still alive, but he is incarcerated. However, he comes up for parole in 2024. Currently, he's in general population and is considered a model prisoner. Let's hope the authorities deny him parole, because a guy like that doesn't change his stripes and he has no business walking around among us. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, smash that like button. Subscribe to the channel. Consider a Patreon membership if you want to support my work, and I'll see you next time. Hi. My younger sister's two years younger, and I developed some morbid games. Um, my life had started going that way at about eight. At a certain time of the evening, the family left the center room, the, the living room of the house. My mother and my sisters, or my sisters themselves, would go up to bed upstairs, where I used to go to bed, upstairs. I had to go down to the basement. And an eight-year-old child had a tough time differentiating the reason in that. Why am I going to the basement? I'm going to hell, they're going to heaven. And what were those games that you played with your sister? Okay. Well, the one I remember uh, someone talking about in a, in a book was one that was playing gas chamber or electric chair or something. And we had this big old overstuffed chair up in my room. And we'd, we'd uh, it was not just my sister and I, it was my sister and I and a friend, a close friend. We got into all these games. We got into one game where we'd roll up in a rug and a person would try to get out of it. It was just like a large throw rug. And it was, uh, I guess, what fascinated us individually about it is it was a completely, uh, it broke up the monotony, I guess, of what we were doing. Didn't have a lot of toys to play with. 